How we going, mates? Welcome back to the Top Step and a big, huge, merry, merry Christmas to everyone out there. Christmas is in just a couple of days. Hopefully you've done all your Chrissy shopping. You picked up your laybys and uh, and you're ready to roll and Santa's about to come down that chimney. We have got a great episode. One of my favorites to watch last year had a huge breakout. You're so happy for this guy. And I cannot wait to dive into what was different in 2021 to make this guy be one of the toughest relievers to hit. Paul Seawalt, if you don't know who he is, or if you're down in Australia, you haven't been following the Mariners, this guy's numbers rank when you're talking about swing and miss stuff, strikeouts, etc., in the top five in all pitches in Major League Baseball. So it is exciting. I cannot wait to hear all about it. Before we get into all that, make sure you go subscribe. If you're doing your Christmas road trip or you're heading up the coast in Australia on holidays, whatever you're doing, make sure this is on uh, the airwaves. So if it's Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening, click the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. We've got some really good ones and some exciting stuff coming up in 2022. All right, I'm going to get right to it. I know Paul Seward's going to call us in a second. So sit back, relax, get after it in that workout. Enjoy that drive with us in this next hour or so as Grant Balfour, Paul Sewell, join me right here on the Top Step. No matter what happens, Ryan Roland Smith has something to tell his grandkids right here. First appearance of the big leagues. <laughs> Face Hall, Hall of Famer. Famer. <laughs> Especially if he strikes them out. Here comes the one-two pitch to Junior now. The breaking ball. He struck him out. Yeah, that will be... A story for the rest of his life <laughs> as he strikes out Ken Griffey Jr. And the inning is over. But what an inning it was as six. Victor Martinez and Grant Balfour join and benches have cleared. My goodness. This this is Grant Balfour being Grant Balfour. Yeah. He, he is, as you mentioned, Jim, he's amped up and he talks a lot. It's not personalized, but he talks a lot. In fact, he has the demeanor of a guy that wants to fight you. You'll never say that I'm not killing them. Kill, kill, killing them. Killing them. Kill, kill, killing them. Grant, how are we doing, mate? We're just doing a mic check with them. Three, two, one. And I was uh, giving the old um, number 42. Your, your fish and chips are ready. <laughs> All right. Your fish and chips, batted salves, your crab cakes. Love it. Yeah, mate. Can you throw a batted salve in there, mate? <laughs> the old uh, fish and chip shop, mate. Loved That's it. right. Yeah, I'd go down there. I'd smoke. Yeah, you know, grab myself <laughs> a <laughs> grab myself a couple of cream buns and uh, about two dollars chips and oh, you know. All right, yeah, mate. Just All load right. up. We're, scallops. We're, Love the scallops too. Big we're doing the uh, we're doing the Aussie segment off the bat here, are we? Surely oh, not. It, looks, it seems like it. But no, we're going to say that again. That, that, that's that's like the dessert, mate. At the end of a at the end of a yeah. meal, or, or, or the ice block, or the paddle pop. At the end of <laughs> <laughs> the, what was the other? The hubba bubba with the, the bubble gum on his nose. Buffalo, Buffalo Bill. Bill. Buffalo <laughs> Bill. That'd be fave. All right. Well, hey. First of all, how are you doing, champion? I haven't spoke to you all week. How's everything going? Yeah, good, mate. Everything's been pretty good. Yeah, you know, just uh, preparing for Christmas and uh, had a bit of a Christmas party here at the house. Put on a bit of a Bit of a show at the taco truck out the front. So wow. crushing some tacos and uh, about 40 people at the place. So uh yeah, a few drinks and a few good few good times. So <laughs> 40 people. Mate, how do you I don't even know yeah. 40 people? I feel like uh, neither I do get... I, but there's 40 here. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody uh gate crashes, mate. Really? So nah. so you had the taco truck. What was the pool open up or what? 
Uh, we had the, had the pool lights on the uh, green and red, mate. The hot, hot tub was red and the pool was green for the oh, lights. So the Chrissy you, going, mate. Chrissy lights going. And uh, you still got the shuffleboard cranking or what? Yeah, you got the shuffleboard pool table up there. You still have my favorite. You still have the Dustbuster next to it or what? Mate, the Dustbuster, um, can I say this on, on air? It shit itself, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it's overuse, overuse, I guess. So uh, be, be a good little Chrissy present, new, new Dustbuster. You can say that on there, mate. We had uh, we had Adam yeah. Jones on last week. Some of the feedback was amazing, actually. People loved it. Just a good, yeah. honest conversation. Um, raw, mate. Just there, raw there were a few f bombs. I did have I did have a couple people uh, actually back in Australia saying, "Oh, yeah, I let, let little don't want to name names here. Let little so and so listen to it." But I had to keep yeah. turning down some of the f bombs. I was like, "Hey, I'm sorry." Well, oh, earmuffs. Speaking of Australia, we, we have to kick it off. We First of all, I just want to give a little intro. We have someone who I'm really excited. I got a chance to watch him all year long. Breakout year, Paul Seawold. Now, yeah. I guess you can call him the closer for the Mariners, but when you look at the save numbers, he only had 11. Now, the reason why is because the Mariners kind of did this mix and match with the highest leverage situation. So it was the seventh or the eighth inning. That's when they'd put their dudes in uh, who, yeah. you know, and that's, that was basically Paul Seawold. Dude. Now, the reason I'm excited to talk to him because this is a guy who didn't sign for a whole lot of cash, right? Had to work work his way through the minor leagues, got up, got DFA'd, got this, got that, wasn't doing a whole lot. Comes to the Mariners. And not only did he just, hey, mate, you had a good year, good on you, see you next year. This dude dominated, like absolutely, like there was no luck involved. There was just straight swing and miss. Like this 99th percentile in, in strikeout percentage, Whiff percentage, that's swing and miss. It's 97th percentile. Barrel percentage, when they barrel the ball up, that's two per- he was in the two percentile. So just dominating, like just straight swing and miss. <clears throat> so I'm excited to talk to him. I can't wait, man. And, and just to hear what changed and, you know, maybe make a comeback or something if he's got some secret sauce. I don't know. Oh, mate, he obviously uh, did something. I mean, whether he did something different or not, I don't know. I don't know if he, he he's got a new pitch or um, he just had a different mentality or or what it was just more aggressive in the zone, yeah. but uh, he definitely put up huge numbers. You know, you and I both know Liam, and he was the uh, Mariner Rivera, you know, reliever of the year back to back. So we compared him his numbers to to Liam's a little bit here before he got on the show, and I mean he's he actually nicked uh, Liam there by uh, by just a, a slight margin in okay. K's per nine. 14.5 to 14.3 to uh, Liam had 14.3. So oh, this guy knows how to punch a guy out. And that's what you need in those late innings when the game's on the line. I don't know what that's like. I know uh, I've pitched in similar situations with Tampa. Yeah, they wanted you to come in in maybe the seventh when the game was on the line or the eighth instead of pitching the ninth. Yeah. And when it, when it might not even be there anymore because it was too late because you blew it in the seventh. I can see where Seattle's coming from. I know it's nice to have that S next to your name and you got that opportunity later in the year, but there's some big numbers and interested to talk to him, mate. Yeah, it's amazing too. And this is something that drove me nuts was MLB <laughs> Network. Nothing against the folks at MLB Network, by the way, but when they had yeah. the, the the best, the ranking the best relievers, some of these Mariners guys, I'm like, how are you? You mentioned some of those numbers <laughs> that you rank them next to Liam Hendricks, who was a, one of yeah. our, one of our, a buddy of ours, don't get me wrong, but he been on the show and and he won the mariana rivera award but man i mean come on like where, where is you got the paul yeah. seawald casey sadler another guy stacking rider but we're going to talk about all that before we do before we do before i forget yeah. now we have to do the the aussie word <clears throat> of the day 
What is it this week, mate? This is one of yours. We kind of went back and forth on this because we got a list an arm long. And uh, we, got some, we, we really do have some good ones. You know, probably over 100, maybe pushing 200. So uh, we, we got plenty up our sleeve. But this one uh, kind of relates to the time of the year, being around Christmas. So we're going to go with Rello or Rellies. <laughs> What's that mean, mate? So basically, Rellos is short for relatives. And the way, and when you mention it for Christmas, yeah, it's basically, oh, hey, all the Rellos are coming over. Or, or you're a kid, you're like, oh, the Rellos are coming over. <laughs> <laughs> people, people you might not have seen in a while, or you maybe just see them once a year, you know, come down yeah. from up north, head down to Sydney. Like if, if well, the Rellos are staying for, for a night or two. Yeah, you're having your Barbie with 40 people on. Right. Usually yeah. in Australia, you have, yeah, you have a pool party or you have a party or, you know, cracker of a day. If you're the bloke with the pool, all the rellos are coming over. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, that's it. Yeah. All the rellos want to be there, you know, throw together, like you said, the Barbie, put the footy on and, uh, you know, have a swim. Yeah. I remember, I remember, <laughs> hey, hey, man, you, you come to the beach. Nah, man, I got the rellos coming over. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, mate. I mean, good or bad, I don't know. Hopefully it's good. But, yeah, you know, everyone's got their fair share of the... the good- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you always have that. Yeah, one or two one or two in the rellos that the relatives, you know, some uncle or some auntie is just an absolute yeah. nightmare. Yeah, that auntie who's got yeah. six cats or something, you know, yeah, you just comes over and complains I about guess, everything. I guess you could put another word of the day in there. She's a couple of arrows. <laughs> yeah. All right, mate. So we've got Paul Seawold coming on. Very excited to talk to him. You ready to let him in? He, he, he's in the waiting room, by the way. Mate, he's famous rushing to Cavanossie and Jews. And we're gonna have we're gonna have this time of year, we're gonna have to get some cold beer in there too, I think. I know. Yeah, yeah you're gonna, uh, Aussie Christmas. Get you a nice VB or yeah. he seems he, like a he might be a four X guy. I don't know, is he? He might be, he might be a four X. <laughs> Anyway, enough of that for the kids listening. All right, let's bring him in, man. He's been waiting too long. Let's bring him in and see what he's got to say. All right, mate. All right. Paul, welcome, buddy. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, for sure. Hey, I was um, was telling Grant before he came on because he said, oh, you know, know, have you had a chance to to talk to you? Obviously, I'm covering the team up in Seattle. But the only time I've, I've interacted with you was on a post-game show, and it's just a quick, you know, you guys want to get in, get out. Now, I will say this, man. We had, like, a string of guys before you and nothing against your teammates. Some dudes just don't, you know, they just don't want to talk. They want to get done with the game, and, and they're off. And I was like, oh, man, like, there's just none of my jokes are hitting. Nothing's <laughs> – I sound like an idiot when I'm asking these <clears> questions because you just get these blank stares. But, then we had you on, man, and this is just after you came up. He came up with Jared Kelnick and, and Logan Gilbert, the same transaction, basically. And this was like a couple weeks in where you were just starting to get on a roll, right? And you were animated. You just had a different energy level. I remember you, you just chatting to you and, you, and you, you were sinking in with the jokes. I can't remember what I said, but you were having a laugh. You were giving some back. It was just good. And straight away, man, I was just an instant fan right after that. So I appreciate that. But it's good to actually talk for real now on this. That's for sure. Well, I appreciate it. I uh, I try to be try to be as real as I can out there. I know uh, you know you try to make it try to make it fun. It's baseball. You're not trying to be too serious out there. It's uh, you know especially when things were going well. It's it's pretty easy to just go out there and have some fun. And we had some fun this year. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I and you know looking at your numbers, Grant and I were talking about 
some of the things you did, there was there was no luck involved, man, with you in 2021. You know how some guys look, and, and hey, all for it, man. The big leagues is really hard, right? It's a freaking hard place to be. But you've got some guys who come up, they might get away with something. They might, you know, walk away from the season with a three or a two or something. And you pat them on the back and say, hey, good job. We'll see you next year. But when you look at your numbers, and we we're talking about this before you came on, Liam Hendricks, who's been on this show, right? Reliever, he was up there in, you know, 100 plus strikeouts. And then Grant's like, damn, look at this dude. I mean, Paul Seawald, you pull up some of your numbers. There was no luck involved at all. There was just straight swing and miss and strikeouts whenever you need them. What was it, man? Like, what was it in your mind? I know it's a pretty ma- pretty broad question, but what was it that was different this year for you? Well, first of all, anytime you compare me to your fellow Aussie, Liam Hendricks, in anything, I'll take it as, as a major compliment that guy. I is. do. I, I did it a bunch. But I, by the way, in September, I was, I was firing that off because I was like, look at this, look at this, look at this. And I will say real quick before you, ML, the MLB Network did these rank, like rankings, right, of like the best relievers. And I, I was actually, I actually got on with them to, to talk about some of them, not because they said, oh, what about them? And I was like, hey, you got to be joking. I started rattling off these numbers. And I saw you got these looks back as if say, shit, you make a frigging good point. But anyway, I'll, I'll let you dive in on that one. No, so, you know, there were, you know, I was very inconsistent when I was in New York. There were, you know, stretches where I was very good and stretches where I was very bad. I wasn't, you know, a major league reliever. And so I just figured, you know, I have to make some adjustments. And, you know, there was a little bit of talk of you have to throw the ball up in the zone. And, you know, I have not been a hard thrower my whole life. I've always been kind of on the lower end, right at, right at average or a little bit below average. So it was always, you know, you got to throw your fastball down and away. Make sure you throw your fastball down and away. That's where, that's where you're not going to get hurt throwing 90-92. And I was like, okay, so, you know, 20 years of pitching, my only focus is make sure you throw your fastball down and away. Now we have a little bit different way of viewing everyone's pitches. And they're like, well, you have elite ride, elite spin rate, elite getting the ball up in the zone. We got to get the ball up in the zone. I tried to make a couple of adjustments last year when I was with the Mets and it just didn't go very well. It was, you know, it's a learning process when you essentially change where you're trying to throw the ball, where you've thrown your whole career. And then we got to, we got to Seattle and, you know, I got with them and, and the pitching strategists and the pitching coaches are saying, here's what we have to do. Let's try and let's try and figure out exactly how that works. And, you know, spring training didn't go very well. Like I got hit pretty hard, but we we're, you know, we we're really focusing on, all right, let's make the adjustment for the long term. If you don't pitch well for four games in spring training, that's okay. We, you know, we'd rather have you ready for the season. And I, I will be forever thankful for the alternate site. I think that was the best thing that ever happened to my career where I was game ready but I was in a practice situation where I could just work on things. You know, yeah. you guys know there's, there's always guys that have to fight to make the team. There's guys that, you know, know they're making the team the, as soon as the season ends the year before and can come into spring training and work on things. And I've never had that luxury. The alternate site was that luxury for me. And we just, we just try, it was just trial and error. It's like, all right, let's try this today. Okay. That didn't work. And then one day, you know, it just clicked. I was just like pounding fastballs at the top of the zone. And I said, that's, that's it. That's, that's where I need to be. And I didn't look back that, that got to, that got me where I want to go. But before it clicked, right. And, and you said that you come in with the Mariners and you sit down with, with the, you, you mentioned the pitch strategist. Now what, what are we talking like Pete Woodworth and, and who else, yeah. who else was in that? Yeah. Woody and Trent Blank, the pitching coach or the bullpen coach. And then you have, a couple of a couple of the front office, you know, pitching strategists that have that say, here's what the numbers say. Let's work with the pitching coaches and figure out, okay, 
this is what his numbers say. Let's do this in pitching talk rather than numbers talk type of thing. But, but didn't you hear that? Didn't you hear that with the Mets the year before? Like, wasn't it, was there any of that element when you're in spring training where, you know, Woody or, or whoever it is sits down with you and says, oh, do this. You're like, yeah, roll my eyes because I, I, I did this, man. I did this last year. Like, well, it was a, com- it was a little bit of, a, it was more of a conversation rather than them telling me. They uh-huh. said, okay, well, what, you know, what do you think you need to do? This, these are the three things we think you need to do. We need you to throw fastballs up in the zone and we need you to spin sliders more horizontally than vertically. Like, what do you think of those? And I said, okay, like, you know, that's the first time I've ever heard the slider thing. I think I can really do that with my low arm slot. Like I've always tried to get, you know, depth to it. That's how, you know, pitching coaches my whole life, make sure you have two plane depth on any pitch that you have. And then I said, well, here's the thing. I tried the fastball up thing and it doesn't, it really didn't work last year. And they're like, okay, like we still think that this is where it's at. We just need to figure out what clicks and what doesn't click. And so it's a bullpen here in the game, trying to work on things and, and just trying to figure out in catch, you know, how we can kind of figure it out and catch even, and then, and then put that into the game situation. And so it was more of a conversation. And, and, you know, I believed that, you know, the Mariners have had a lot of success turning people who haven't been consistent into pretty, pretty consistent pitchers. And, and I was glad to be a part of that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and you and, you know, obviously, you know, Steckenrider as well, throw him into that and even Casey Sadler to some extent as well. But so, so real quick and Grant, I'll let you jump in here in a second, but just on the, just on the alternate side, you're talking about, you thought you mentioned that was, you had that luxury where the game is because the games didn't count and you had that, that, that width to, to actually work on stuff. You mean where you weren't in triple a and, and, you know, you weren't concerned about your numbers and everything else. Exactly. So, I mean, even when you're in playing in AAA, there are 10 scouts of the games. You are always being evaluated yeah. based off of your stuff and based off of your numbers. Every time the lights are on. Now the alternate site, we're playing at 830 in the morning before the Mariners play a date before they play a game. And, you know, we're just out there with the iPad saying that pitch is you know, it's actually not at the top of the zone, even though you may think that it's at the top of the zone. That's one of the things, I mean, you guys know, you think you make a good pitch in game time, you go back and watch a video, you're like, well, that's why I got hit. That's, that's in the middle of the plate or like, okay, well, that was just a great pitch and a great job of hitting. Like, I can't, I can't lose sleep over the fact that I made my pitch and did that. And this was, this is what we got to do in the middle of the, in the middle of a game or a practice game. I would throw a pitch, think it's at the top of the zone. I'll look in the dugout. And the pitching coaches will say, okay, that's at the top of the zone. Or, hey, you can even go a little bit higher in your, in, your, in your delivery and try and figure out where your aiming point is. And so for me, it was like, okay, I thought I was getting pitches up in the zone in spring training. And then I realized those are not at the top of the zone. Those are in the middle of, those are in the, middle of the plate. So I, need to, I really need to focus on having my aim point really high. So we just had to literally have the catcher stand up for an entire day. And I threw 25 straight high fastballs. And halfway through it, it finally clicked. And I said, okay, we have it. So that's my aim point, And that's where I have to work. And then from there, it was like, okay, can't have the catcher stand up in the middle of the game. How do we work on this? And right. it, you know, we finally started to click. So you, that's, that's a huge adjustment. I mean, I know what it's like. Sometimes, you know, you want to throw the ball up. Well, I, I, I get what you're saying. Because I didn't have that luxury. Obviously, you're in the game. You come back in, the inning finishes. And then you go and look at the video and you're like, man, I made a good pitch there. And like, eh, not such a good pitch. Probably why I got tatted off the wall. But right. then again, you got to tip your hat to some hitters sometimes. 
I never used to like to give hitters too much credit. I'll be totally honest with you. I was like, screw this guy. I'm going after him. I didn't want to give him too much credit because I felt like I was giving him an edge. Um, granted, I knew they were really good hitters, but I was like, you just, I just had to have that confidence thing. I think it's all about confidence too. I think once you found that, and then once you got some success with that, I feel like you just, you just took off with it. And then you, you build that confidence. And like you said earlier, once you, you're going out there and, you, and you're putting up these numbers, it's easy to have fun. And when you're having fun, staying relaxed, you're totally confident in what you can do because you've already done it off the field. Now you just put it into play. There's 100%. No the the 100%. So, I, you know, the confidence thing is through the roof. Now, I had had a couple of up and down years in New York. It, it was, there were... I'm not going to lie. There were times where I'm like, I don't know if I'm consistent enough to be a major leaguer. I know I've had stretches were great, but look yeah. at four years and they've been a little inconsistent. It was like, all right, like I still think I can, but I have to, you know, I have to, I have to work and I have to get better to prove myself. And, you know, at the alternate side, once it clicked, it was like, you know, I could tell guys what pitch was coming and I, I wouldn't get hit. And then I went to AAA for a week and punched out everybody that I faced there. And, and then I got the chance in the big leagues and was like, all right, like, I've been here before. I know I can get everybody else out. Can I get major league hitters out? And it really, I got off to a pretty good start and it was like, okay, this works. Like this is a new me. I'm a different pitcher than I have been. Once I got just a little bit of confidence saying like, okay, high fastballs and sliders moving just left. Like that guy's different than the other guy in the big leagues. And this guy is a really good major league pitcher. And then exactly once the confidence came out there and it's like, I could tell them a high fastball is coming and they can't hit it. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty fun out there when you know, when you know your stuff plays. So yeah. did you ever have that, you mentioned, and I don't want to call it a, a comfort zone, but it's basically, I want to go back that that alternate site where you have, all right, here's the plan. Let's go practice it. You never really had that with the Mets, right? There was four years there where it was like, I mean, cause you, you signed for a thousand bucks, come up, you're not on that prospect list. You don't have that, that leash to, to go out and suck and figure it out. It's like, all right, here you go, dude. Here's your chance. If you put up numbers, great. You're going to keep progressing then you get to the big leagues and you're trying to stick around. But, uh, okay, a couple things on cut, that. I want to just cut you off real quick for one second. Ron. I got to ask him, did you cash the check? Yes, I needed it because I was living, I was actually playing in Brooklyn, New York. That yeah. was where the season team was. And, you know, you can't, $1,000 does not go very far in New York City, that's for sure. Even though we didn't have to pay for our living situation, still didn't last me very long. So, uh it was a uh, off-season job time in no time. I yeah. only had to bring that up because they say Ricky Henderson one year had a million bucks signing bonus with the Yankees. Claims he, he just put it on the wall, never cashed it <laughs> when they went yeah. to do the books. And I and I'm only bringing up this with the books and stuff because I know just reading a bit of history that you went to San Diego, you got your degree in accounting, and your your family's in accounting. Yeah. So I was like, maybe this is something that you know I'll just reach into here. I kind of yeah. had it in my mind to bring it up. I just thought this is the time to do it. But, I had to um, cash it because I needed the money. Yeah, yeah, dude, yeah. Dude, it's worth it's worth three mil now because he's he's so good with money. Not like, well, actually, Grant, you're <laughs> hey, amazing turn. with money. I am too. I'm a bit of a tight ass. I'm not gonna lie. I'm really yeah. tight. And I know Grant is too. So you got so it's not like we're out there, you know, buying flashy shit or anything like that. But he's you've turned that into three million bucks, right? You've invested the right way. That thousand stretch, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's long gone. It's long gone. Thank goodness I got to the big leagues, paid a little bit of actual money, so then we can invest that. But it was uh, yeah. it was uh, awesome. double checking whether I had enough money to get to, to get guacamole at Chipotle there for a couple of years in the minor leagues for sure. <laughs> you, you mentioned <laughs> you had host families when you're in New York. So in New York, we stayed at 
we stayed in a hotel, we stayed in a Holiday Inn in Brooklyn and they put us all up there oh, because I mean, you can't afford to live in New York. You can barely afford to live in New York on a major league paycheck, let alone <laughs> people paycheck. So they yeah. put us up there and they actually paid for our housing, which was, which was pretty nice. And so I, you know, I felt I was rich for the first time I had money and I didn't have any expenses. And I was like, this is great. I, Man, I lived in the double, I lived in the double wide trailer in uh, high in advanced rookie. I lived in a double wide trailer. We, yeah, we got billeted, mate. We got, uh, we got billeted out right. Eh? With the families. <laughs> is this the word? Yeah, host families. That. Host families host would take families. us in and we'd give them 500 bucks a month or whatever. That was basically all we're making. Yeah, and we're staying in a double wide. Uh, it's yeah. crazy. Well, okay, it's totally couple, different. A couple things on that. Jay Happ, who was playing with the Yankees, who was making a ton of money. You mentioned the Major League Salary. The first thing, they came to Seattle and I caught up with him and said, Jay, you know, how is it in New York? He goes, dude, he goes, it's so expensive. I'm like, Oh, a second. I'm like Googling, how much you making this year? But he's like, dude, it's ridiculous. I can't handle it. I'm like, huh? But no, you're right. It's a joke. It's absurd. It's absurd. It made, it made Seattle living expenses this year feel like I was barely paying anything to live there. And then this is Seattle. I'm not talking about the middle of the country that yeah. like, you know. Yeah, it's a high rent district Seattle. as well. Um, <laughs> host families, man. We, we could go back and forth on some horror host, horrible host family stories, man. But uh, anyway, a shout out to all of them. Uh, anyway, I'm not, I'm not going to dive in there. I will say this, though. I did have one. This is back in the day, by the way, Paul. I had one in 2002. I don't want to, again, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but just put it this way. Shinsu Chu was on my team. Now, this host family, they were used to, because they'd been doing it for so long, they sort of had seniority. They were used to having prospects. Well, Shinsu Chu was like, I'm not staying with anyone. He got to live. He was the only dude who wasn't mandatory for him to live. He could live in an apartment. He, and he signed for a ton of money. So he had some like penthouse in Appleton, Wisconsin. And they were stuck with me and this other Canadian dude. And they, I swear to God, for two straight weeks, they told us a thousand times, oh yeah, we usually get prospects. And we're supposed to have Shinsu Chu, but I'm like, yeah, thanks. Like, <laughs> yeah, sorry, you got stuck with me. Anyway, I'm not going to dive into some other details because, you know, in case, you know, who knows, they could be listening or something. I don't want to get- That's get funny. But hey, let, let's go back to 2021. Let's get out of the uh, the host family thing. Dude, you, when this year ended, man, you know, it, it was so much fun that last weekend. And I said this a thousand times. I'm like, oh man, if Paul Seawald ever hears me say this, or even Second Rider, I was like, these, you guys were, I, I kept saying, these guys have to be gassed, exhausted, right? At the end of that year, you guys were getting ridden hard. And I know Grant's been in that situation with the A's and the, and the Rays there for a few times. But tell me, man, those, those last couple games, were you just running on fumes? Yeah. I mean, you're talking about 65 innings and I came up in mid May. Right. You know, like 65 innings for a season is pretty good. And I missed the first six weeks of the season. Yeah. Um, you know, it, I felt great. I really did. And, you know, from the get-go, I told them, if I can pitch, I'll let you know if I can pitch. If I can't pitch, I can't pitch. If I, if I can't help the team by going out there and it's better. To, now, we had, we had six, seven guys that I thought were really good. And so we might as well throw anyone, anybody out there at 100% is way better than me or Steck at, at 50 or 60%. So we did have that luxury. But, I mean – that's why you play. You want to go to the playoffs. I wanted to end yeah. a 20 game playoff drought. That's, that's why you go to Seattle. That's why you play for the Mar Like that's what you wanted. And everybody, everybody was running on fumes. You guys know 162 games. You are gas at the end yeah. of it. No matter, no matter if you barely play or you pitch every game. And, you know, of course we were all running on fumes, but it was just like, you just had this end goal of if I could be on the team that breaks that drought streak, like that's, that'll be the dream come true for a Seattle Mariner player. And it, you know, we just went out there and, you know, I told them I wanted to pitch as often as I could. And 
because you know I felt that if I was pitching, that usually gave us a pretty good chance to win, and and that's really all that that's all that any of us wanted was to was to win as many games as we could in September and make that comeback. And you know the fact that we came you know down to game one sixty two was pretty incredible. It just is uh, just came up a little bit short. What what is your recovery process, man? If you can go back, I know you've just been to Hawaii and you've been hanging out, so you're on sitting on the deck chair all day long and. Mm-hmm. You know the whole thing, but when you, if you can go back, you throw inning, and because you were throwing the thing was too, you were throwing inning plus a lot of the times too. You were going inning a third, inning and two thirds. You get done with that game, you're hanging a little bit. You know you're going to be back out there that next day. What's the Paul Seawold recovery process after the game? Yeah, it start it starts right away. So I, you know, I I realized that you know 31's not old, but it is old in the baseball standards where you don't bounce back nearly as well as I did when I was 25, and so I really do have to start you know, from the second I finished. So it's, it's right to the training table to do some like manual cool down stuff with my arm. And then it's, it's icing while I'm on the bike to kind of try and keep my legs going and cool them down a little bit while, you know, icing the arm. And then it's, it's, you know, getting in the cold tub for, you know, 10 minutes after the game and just trying to break down every piece of that, of that inflammation that, uh, you know, is so bad for, for baseball players and, and athletes in general. And so then it's, you know, then it's drinking a gallon of water before I go to sleep and, and just trying yeah. from the second I, the second I wake up to the second I go to sleep, it's all about anti-inflammatory everything. And I just need yeah, to get, right. I need to get yeah. all that out of my body as quickly as I can. And, and, you know, obviously every, everybody on the training staff was incredible and I had everything at my disposal and, and they helped me as much as I could to, uh, to get through and, you know, pitch 20 games in September and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, they allowed me to make sure that I could, that I could pitch at my best to make sure that I had everything that I needed. It was, uh, yeah, yeah. it was good. But yeah, so it's uh, the second I, the second I'm done pitching, it's, it's a mad dash to make sure that I can throw tomorrow. We used to have a guy in, in Oakland, Aussie, Aussie Lyles. It was a massage therapist. Mate, he, he kept my career going for many, many more years. I'd come <laughs> yeah. in I was like, oh, I might be out of, I'd probably throw about 78 miles an hour today. He'd get, <laughs> get a hold of me, you know, just get some work in. And go out there and throw a 95 like it was nothing I'm like god damn Ozzy you're a miracle worker you know what I mean so yeah. having the those training guys staff, training staffs massage therapists they are uh they are lifesavers especially yeah. especially late in the season yeah I went through I went through a time in 2008 where we were sucking man like the road like no one in the starting rotation was getting past the fourth inning and I was like the mop up dude like yeah 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 just you go pitch again I'm like oh my god I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want to get sent down I was just I wasn't you know some you know uber prospect or anything like that I was like and so I couldn't even play catch in the afternoon my elbow was on fire I was like I can't even throw brutal If if you saw Steck and I's game of catch every day for the last for the second half of the season everybody would have been like these guys are professional athletes, let alone, <laughs> let alone at the peak of reliever baseball in, in the big leagues. It was like, all right, we'll lose 20 throws out to 90 feet, come back in, throw a couple knuckleballs and get after it tonight. Right. I'll yeah. tell you what though, man, with all that being said, that last, you mentioned the 20 games in September, you know, running down, you must not have, when everyone was shaking hands to leave, and I'm not talking about because you guys fell short of going to the playoffs and you had that big run at the end. But for you personally, and I've been here before too, where everyone wraps up the season. You're like, I don't want this year to end because you went through and going back to your, your days with the Mets, you went through a situation where you were just trying, you were trying to hang on and to, to, to stay as a major league pitcher, right? And to be a dude and, and you kept looking over your shoulder and you're wondering where your career is going to go. You get DFA'd, you sign with the Mariners and, and you, you get, you, you have that 
I don't want to call it a luxury, but you have that. It's, it is good luck to have people like Pete Woodworth and the rest of the staff and, and everything just snowballs from there. And then you're packing up and you're like, man, I, you know, I've just got a newborn baby. I know you want to go and spend time, but you just don't want that season to end, right? Well, normally I wouldn't have wanted the season to end, but when you spend the first seven weeks of your daughter's life away from her, it was, kind of, a a bad, it was yeah. kind of a mad dash home to get to see her. Right. But in, in baseball respects, yeah, it was like, no, the, every time I go out there, I feel like I'm going to put up a zero for the first time in my major league career. I feel like, no, 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 I can keep playing. This is great. Like I'm having a great season. Let's just keep this thing going. Um, yeah. So, it, you know, it's been a, it's been a crazy off season where it's like, I'm rooting for the Mariners to sign as many great players as we possibly yeah. can so that we can get spring training started right away and get back to work where normally it was like, well, I hope they don't sign too many relievers. Cause then I'm looking down yeah. the list and that puts me in triple right A and you know, it's a, yeah. it's a tough feeling, but everyone who's on that for a bubble knows what that feels like. And oh, it's yeah. not a great feeling. And I'm not on that bubble. And it's like, Robbie Ray. Perfect. Let me text him and tell him like, thank goodness we got Robbie Ray. He's the best pitcher available. And like, this is amazing. And we're this guy and we want this guy and Ken Giles is coming back. And it's like, okay. Um, the excitement behind the off season that I've never had before is pretty darn, yeah. it's pretty darn great. Sure. Now that you go into the off season, I, I know what you're talking about and you just don't want to stop. There's, there's years when, you know, I was just cruising and felt like, man, I, you know, I just don't want it to end. Um, but you know, it comes to an end. Now you go into the off season. Uh, we talked to Liam about what he does. Liam Hendricks. He, he likes to, you know, just take a little bit of time off, go right back into throwing just real easy and, and continue to do that. He feels like his arm seizes up and ends up being tougher for him to get started again. What's your process in the off season here? And maybe you ha can it a little different now that going into next year, yeah. one would think that you are one of their guys. So you may not have to be as ready as early this year. So, you know, hopefully that will help. Well, I feel good that I do the same thing as Liam does. I, so not to name drop, but Jacob DeGrom decided to do that a few years ago while I was in New York. And he said, I just don't, I don't stop throwing. Like I just throw, you know, three times a week in October, super light, nothing crazy. But then I just, you know, I feel better. And I was like, okay, well, every time I go to play catch in mid November, I feel awful. And I spend all of yeah. November, all of December, like literally just trying to get back to like neutral practically. And then I feel like I have to rush through bullpens. And then I come to spring training and I'm like, 87, 89, instead of like 90, 92. And it's like, well, okay, there might be something to this. This guy's the best pitcher on the planet. Like I'm going to try this this off season. And I tried it before the 2020 season. I just didn't, I didn't take any time. I took a couple of weeks off, same thing. Kind of like, let me just decompress for a second, play catch three times a week in, in, in October and kind of November. And then it's like December 1st hit and it was like time to throw. And I was like, I feel amazing. This feels this feels great. And my bullpens were actually useful instead of, you know, grinding through them. And I came out in spring training with, with the Mets and was throwing, you know, 92, 94 right in camp. And I was like, yeah. okay, this is, this is where I need to do this. I need to come to spring training looking like this because that shows them like, Hey, I'm ready to go. Like I can make this team from the get go. You know? Yeah. And I, I think once I figured that out, I was like, this is, this is how I need to approach the off season. So I did it again last year. And same thing now, spring training, I didn't pitch well, but my stuff was there in spring yeah. training. And I showed them that like, hey, like, this is the guy that you're going to get. I just need to work on my command a little bit. And, you know, you're right. I know, I know I'm not fighting for a, fighting for a, a spot in the bullpen next year, but 
I just figured this is what makes me really good. I need to be the same guy going into spring training. It, you know, lockout, not lockout, whatever. I'm planning on making sure that I'm ready March 31st when we play against the Tigers that I'm going to be at my peak. So, you know, I kind of did the same yeah. thing. I took a couple of weeks off and then I started. And, you know, like you said, it makes me feel good that I can go to Hawaii for a week and feel like I'm not behind. This is no problem. Like I can take a week off and I'm right back to work and, and I still feel good. I feel way better on this in mid-December than I normally feel. And I'm ready to go. I am. By the way, I'm so glad you said that, Paul, because you, here's that thing that what got you to what you did in 2021 is, is you still have that hunger. You're still going to be looking over your shoulder regardless, man. And it's so cool. I, I walked into 2020, 2010 and just was awful. I pitched in 2009. Everyone was kissing my ass, telling me how great I was and all this crap. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, I just met my wife. So, you know, we're up scuba diving and I just like, oh, I got this. Rolled in the spring training, my velo was down and I was just like, oh, I'm just getting my work in. And I got my ass kicked, man, when come April. I just, I love that, you know, just when you said that, because again, dude, 20, 2022 is that chance for you now where you're on the map. The expectations have completely changed for you, even from when you wrote that tweet, which I want to get to in a second, which I absolutely love, by the way, um, when you got called up. Grant, I don't even know if you, if you know what I'm referring to, but uh, uh, you, you it, it was gold. Right? I'll get to it right now. Basically, Jared Kelnick was coming up and there was this huge buzz about Kelnick coming up. It was crazy. It was like, it was like Ken Griffey Jr. 2.0 when he was coming up to the big leagues. It was nuts, man. From a media standpoint, I'm like, damn, yeah. like this kid better just go five for five with three bombs. Like this is insane. And then yeah. you had Logan Gilbert coming up and Paul was, you were coming up in the same transaction. Yeah. And so you tweeted out and I loved it, man. I remember, I think I retweeted, I'm like, I love this dude already. Um, what would you say? The three prospects are coming up or something like Grant, that. I said, I said, it's, you know, the Mariners are calling up their three young and spry prospects from AAA. And That's right. I'm excited to be there. And, you know, four years, four years in the big leagues and, and, you know, 31 years old versus the two young kids that are 21, 22, making their major league debut. And, you know, it was, it, it actually, I think it just lightened it up because, you know, there was such a buzz to see Logan pitch for the first time to see Jared in the big league uniform. And for me, it was like, no, this isn't my first time. Like I've been in major league stadiums. Like yeah. it's not a big deal, but I kind of, it, it kind of eased my transition that I wasn't like, I wasn't the call up. There were two guys that were way bigger fanfare than yeah. me. I'm just here to, you know, pitch a couple games and heck, I didn't have any options. It's like, Hey, if I pitch poorly, I could be on the DFA train tomorrow. So I'm just here to, I'm just here to have fun. And I'm excited to be here and kind of like, I'm just going to take this thing and, and run with it. And, and I didn't worry about any of that, uh, that call up stuff. But did you have that? Did you still have that feeling of, you know, not, not that, not that and I want to make sure I, I put this the right way. Not that you're like, you, you're trying to like be on the same level as Jared Kelnick because everyone's buzzed about him, but did you still have that feeling like, Hey man, this is a chance for me. I've done some amazing things in this last couple of weeks. I'm around some amazing people. I'm not going to come up and be that dude who, who fills a spot. I'm going to be, I'm, was it that mentality too? Like, even if it was subconscious down there? Yeah. I mean, I, like Grant talked about, you're talking about confidence. I, when I got called up, I've never been more confident. When I, you know, right. there's two games and it's triple A, I understand it, but you're talking about guys can't even foul a ball off. And I'm like, no, no, no. This is like way different than I've ever been. Like I am ready for this moment. Like get me in the game and I'll show you that like I can pitch the big league level and I can help this team. Now, maybe I didn't see the season that I had, you know, even in my wildest dreams, but I knew that I was like, okay, I'm different this time. I know I can get people out. Like get me in a game tonight and I can show you what I can do. Yeah. yeah. That, that, was one, that was one thing I was going to say. I mean, I, 
I mean, this show is about you and interviewing you, but the things you talk about with confidence, I, I actually went through something, uh, you know, being hurt and coming back. And after I was hurt, a lot of people questioned me. I had Tommy John, shoulder surgery. I had um, rotator cuff labor and the whole lot in one year. I had it all done in one year. You know, the chances of coming back from that are minute type thing. But anyways, I go through all the rehab, I come back and people have questioned me. And, you know, I told myself, I got to the big leagues and a lot of guys get to the big leagues. And then what's the goal? The goal is to get to the big leagues. But then what do you do when you get there? So I tell a lot of guys now, don't make your goal, just get to the big leagues. Once you get there, you got to readjust and then give yourself another goal. And my goal then, after I'd been hurt and had a little few years in the big leagues and a little bit of success was to say, I want to be one of the best in the game. I want to be one of the best relievers in the game. I want to be on that top 10 list that MLB puts up every year. I said, I'm comparing myself to Myron Rivera. I'm comparing myself to Joe Nathan, who's on my team. All these guys that you typically think yourself, dude, is this dude crazy or what? He's nothing, nothing like these guys. He has no, his career is nothing like these guys. But once you start comparing yourself to them and trying to put yourself on that level, I just saw my game go through the roof. And every year I was on that top 10 for six straight years or whatever it was. And it's just something that, you know, I've read things that like Bryce Harper talks about. He's like, man, just dream big and shoot for the stars. Who cares if anyone, your expectations, who cares if anyone, what they think. And, and I honestly believe that that's what made me be the best reliever I could. No, I totally agree. It, you know, there's still, it was a great year, but there's still tons of motivation. Now yeah. I have all the motivation yeah. in the world to show everyone in New York that this wasn't a fluke, that it was a one-year thing, that no, 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 no. I changed who I am as a pitcher. Now my career trajectory is way different than it's ever been. And like, I'm ready to go. And, you know, it's silly. You talk about tweets or whatever, but the, not making MLB's all reliever team was kind of like, it was kind of a slap in the face. I was like, all right, like, yeah, you guys watch any of the Mariner games? Because it doesn't look like you did. You pick all people from East Coast teams. Like you got to start watching some of our games at 10 Eastern and start seeing some of the best players in the league. Like this is ridiculous. Did the motivation factor still there? And you're exactly right. Like now Liam Hendricks is incredible, but like I have stats that compare to him. Why wouldn't I, why wouldn't I want to be right next to him on every single conversation right. now, yeah. just because I didn't get 40 saves doesn't mean that I shouldn't be in those conversations. You're exactly right. Like this kind of made me realize like, no, 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 no. Like you should have me, on the, maybe I don't make the list, but you better be at least thinking like I'm an honorable mention of this stuff rather than getting yeah. just, you know, rejected exactly. all the way. Exactly. You go out there, honestly, you go out there and pitch with a little chip on your shoulder, whatever it is, and just keep proving yourself, keep proving yourself, but stay confident. Uh, I guarantee you, you continue to put up those numbers and do what you did. Uh, I know you talked about your fastball and pitching up in the zone and how you had to have the catcher, you know, stand up, but then eventually, obviously, you figured all that out. You did talk about the slide, and we didn't get a lot into that. You're talking about that, that depth. Um, that's something that I really worked on with, with Joe Nathan, obviously one of the best closers, relievers in the game back then, and he showed me how he threw his. I'd had not only, you know, side to side, but had that depth at the end of it too. It's like it's almost just getting over the front of it, you said that you were trying to work on more getting more side to side on yours, were you across yeah. the plate and getting that? Yeah, you have a good point. But the difference, Grant, between you and Joe and then me is that your arm slots were way different than the way I'm throwing. I'm trying to get, you know, under the ball, come around the side, you know, practically step at the third base dugout and then try and come across. Yeah. 
So for me, it just doesn't play nearly as well when I try to get depth. I just want to, I just want to throw a ball right at the right-handed batter and have it end up in the left-handed batter's box. That for me works better than a pitch that has some sort of depth, but doesn't get nearly as much movement. Now, yeah, if I could get it to move 25 inches and get it to dive, that would be a perfect pitch. But for me, that's not something I do consistently enough to trust that I can do that in a game. We when we had these conversations, it was like, okay, this isn't, we're not telling you to do something that you can't do. This is something you already do 20 to 25% of the time. So this is a pitch that you have. Now let's focus on trying to do it 75 to 85% of the time. So we can consistently say Paul's slider moves literally from the right-handed chalk to the left-handed chalk. And that's <laughs> our idea. So you're exactly right for different pitchers. Every, everybody's different. And that's why as a pitching coach, you need to say, you know, Ryan, you do this grant, you do this, this is, this is what you do really well. Let's work on that instead of, well, Paul, you have to have a slider that has depth because that's yeah. what they taught us in the eighties and nineties. So we got to make sure we have that depth. And it's like, yeah. no, that's what, that's what these new analytical numbers can tell you. It, it can, it can yeah. help you be a better pitcher. Cause it's like, here's what the numbers say when you get a little bit of depth, but not as much as sweep, it still gets hit. Even though you have that depth, if you just try and sweep at 25 inches, People can't hit it because it moves too much sort of thing. Yeah. Hey, Paul, it's one thing, though, and just on that with your slider and even throwing the ball up. I mean, you would, you talked about, I remember, in, in an interview, I actually did a little uh, breakdown with a heat map and stuff, talking about pitching up and into righties, right? It's one thing, and, and this is what I, I try and express to kids or even college players as well. It's one thing to say, oh, look, the iPad says that if I can sweep this slider and make it do X, then I'm, I'm gold. It's one thing to do that, and then – to, to transition that not only number one to trust it to say oh, okay yeah all right th- this is how the hit is going to react but number two to figure out mechanically how to do that my arm slot because you mentioned throwing a, a more of that that frisbee slider like the more of that that uh, horizontal slider that's such an easy pitch to get around the ball and for that thing just to spin in the middle of the plate so there has to be that that thing and for you like going back to early this year and you mentioned it clicking but it's it's that process of saying, all right, this is what feels right. This, this is going to play. And then boom, off you go. Right. I mean, there's that, that's still a sticky little section of your career to try and to overcome, because here's the thing you want to go at the level you're at. You want to go out with the best thing you got, as opposed to messing around with this and that hopefully something works. Right. No, you're exactly right. And it's tough. The iPad is great. It can tell you a lot of things. It can tell you a lot of negative things as well. If you're not looking at it correctly, I think what really clicked for me when I say clicked is that we did it in game situations against hitters at the alternate site and I'm striking out guys left and right. And it's like three up, three down, yeah, two punch outs and a weak fly out, three up, three down, two punch outs and a weak fly out. Now that is when it's like, okay, this works for me. Yeah. The hitters will tell you, right? At the end of the day, the hitters are going to tell you. Yes. Great. You guys know that it's like, no, no, no. This pitch works because I get punch outs on it all the time. I can tell you this pitch is great, but when you throw it, it gets whacked in the, in the, in the gap. And you're kind of like, you go back, like I said, you go back and look at the video and you're like, okay, that was a good location. That was what the iPad said my pitch needs to do. And in the 10 hitters I faced and at the all site, two of them, hit laser doubles off of it. Right. That's not, that's not the pitch then that's, and that's where, you know, it's really hard for kids to try and figure out, you know, this is what they tell me to do, but 
what is what do the hitters say? What is what do my results say? And that's why you have to make the combination of, okay, the stuff says this, but the results say this. Or, hey, I bet doesn't think this guy's a very good pitcher, but he's striking out 15 per nine and he never gives up hard contact. Yeah. And it's like, okay, now then keep doing whatever you're doing. But yeah. I was in a point where I was like, well, they say that my pitches are good, but like I have a five ERA and I feel like I'm backing up bases too often. So like I got to switch something up. Like, yeah, my old school pitching coach thinks that my slider is better because it has depth. But like, if guys are still roping it for singles, like it's obviously not, it's obviously not as good as yeah. you know other major league pitches. Yeah. I'll tell you what, man, the game is, it's definitely changed. That's for sure. I mean, because you know, I, and I, I have, I have a rap setter, right? So I work with kids and, and we, we pull it out and they get so caught up on the same, on the same little numbers, you know? And I, and a lot of the time too, at that age, you know what you have to biomechanically you have to change and you are going to change because you're a teenager these numbers are going to be completely different anyway right, right. you're going to morph into a, a different human being and those numbers are completely going to change it's just funny like even this free agent all these free agents who you see some guys who on the surface look like they really struggled and they're signing these huge deals where the team must identify something. I mean, Andrew Heaney's a classic example. He was with the Ray, uh, excuse me, he's with the, the Yankees and, sh- and scuffled. Well, he's just signed a huge deal with the Dodgers. I mean, there must be something they see, right? That they say, okay, hey, we identified this. This is why it was what we're going to do. Well, you know, speaking from experience, when I was, you know, I was a minor league free agent. I'm not nearly, you know, on the same level that Heaney is this year. But when I'm, when I'm in minor league free agency last year and, my agent sending out, you know, that kind of data instead of, instead of, Hey, here's his win loss ERA and his velocity to send to 30 teams. Here's what he does really well. You know, when the ball's up in the zone, this is what happens. And and this is this, and you get calls back from the Mariners, the Astros, the Blue Jays teams that are kind of, especially Mariners and the Astros are really high on that analytical data sort of thing. It's like, okay, well, those are teams that are kind of, at the top of the rankings as well. Now, I wouldn't say the Mariners yet. I think we had a great year and we're trying to get up there, but you're talking Blue Jays and Astros. The Astros, I think, as well as the Dodgers and the Rays are as good as anybody at figuring out, okay, well, this guy didn't work with this team, but we see something. It kind of gave me this thing like, well, if the Astros think that they can fix me, like there's there's something there. I can, They think I'm good. Like. I am pretty good. I just got to figure out what exactly it is that I do really well and go from there. So, you know, when I think about the Dodgers, the Astros, the Rays, you know, they trade people at Rays, especially they trade people. You're like, why would they trade this guy? And they get this other guy and you're like, ah, like, okay. Like they're just better at it than other teams. And they see things that maybe a team that's not as analytically driven is as good at. And I'm not saying, analytics or everything, but I'm saying that's how you find somebody who's kind of here and you take them to this level. Yeah. So when you signed, so you had, you mentioned the Blue Jays, the Astros with teams that were interested. Why the Mariners over those other teams? Well, easy answer is that I, you know, I, I really thought that I had a better chance of making the major league team with the Mariners and that's nothing against Seattle and that's nothing against the other teams. Like yeah. I wanted to be a major leaguer. Now I would rather be in Buffalo with the, or I'd rather be in Toronto than Tacoma, but I thought I had a better chance of being in Seattle than, you know, Houston or yeah. Toronto. Now, if I would have pitched the way I pitched, all 30 teams would have been 
dying to have a major league offer in front of me instead of be a minor league contract, that sort of thing. But at the time, I just felt like this is my this is my best chance to get to the big leagues. And my agent said, like, hey, I've had a couple of people that I've sent there and they've gotten better in their pitching strategy. Like he's like, I really do think you will get better. Now, we didn't see what was coming, but we did think that I could get better with a little bit of their help. Right. I wanted to bring out one thing too. Like, I know you talk about getting better and all that, but I think um just going back and thinking in my career as far as when you when you when you are on a roll and you are confident you're going out there and it's like the game seems easy even though it's not easy at all it's a great feeling you go out there you're throwing up zeros you're on a roll you're just building that confidence you feel indestructible you feel like i'm going out here tonight another zero another zero another zero and it's the best feeling ever there were times i know where i throw pitches i believe that if you're just throwing that pitch with conviction, it didn't have to be the perfect pitch. That guy still popped it up. Right. It was just some edge that you had over that hitter because you stood out on that mound and you showed him, dude, I, this guy's tough to hit. He is not easy. And this guy's good. And they, I think you already had that hit a beat. I tried to use that edge sometimes against guys where I'd go out there and I'd just, I mean, I'll be honest, there's times where you just groove it. Don't get me wrong, it gets whacked here and there. But there's times when, I might not have thrown the best pitches, but you go out and have a good inning. You know what I mean? You're not always just painting the corners and whatnot. It's just about the conviction and the confidence. Yeah. Anybody, anybody who watched you pitch knew that it look, you gave the hitter a look like I am better than you and there's nothing you can do about it. And like, there is something to that. If you, if you look more confident than the hitter looks, you're, you're yeah. already it's crazy in, at the advantage and grant like, everyone who watched you kind of saw that passion from you. And it's like, you're exactly right. There were times that I threw pitches right down the middle and struck them out. And it was like, well, that really wasn't that good of a pitch, but like they just went up to the bat knowing like, Hey, this guy's going to throw rising fastballs. And I, I have an uppercut swing and I'm not sure that I can even do it. And it's like, here you go. Like, there's nothing you can do. There's plenty of guys in the league that, you know, a couple of them might be my teammates. So I don't want to call them out, you know, personally, but it's like, I, I didn't even have to, I didn't even have to go over scouting report. Like, I'm going to throw fastballs right down the middle and there's literally nothing you can do about it yeah. and punch a guy out. And you just look at him like he, you were out before you got to the plate. Paul, that's something though. And, and obviously you mentioned Grant too. That's one of those intangibles that uh, the game is so analytically driven that people lose the fact that there is that edge or that one little human element inside that brain, whatever it is that, that, Neanderthal thing that, that goes off that says, you know what, I am going to dominate you right now. Right. And it's something yeah. that it, it, I, I don't want that lost. I don't want that lost in from a front office of that have a bunch of dudes. I'm not, again, I'm not criticizing. There's some um, brilliant, amazing people, but there still has to be that bridge. We talked about this with Adam Jones last week of understanding that human element, communicating with that Paul Seawall that says there is something here that's that intangible. There's something with Grant Balfour when he's out there pitching, and you can obviously visually see it, but not always, that says, all right, he is going to be better than this guy, even though this guy's numbers on, on an iPad says this. Yeah. Right? It's funny. You know, I tend to be very emotional when I'm out there, and, and that's why you can see, like, and Grant was very emotional too, so you could see you could see after a punch out to end the game kind of that excitement. And, and maybe Steckenrider and those guys, they didn't really look like that. So it may look like I had that. And, but I would say, I would say literally every guy in our pen had the same exact thing that it was like, you go down our scanner report. It's like, these five guys cannot hit me. There's literally, I have four pitches against these guys yeah. and we're doing our pregame meetings. It's like, if, 
if we have a lead and we throw any of the five guys that we normally throw, the game is over. And we just went into games like Man. knowing that our bullpen is way better than their hitters. So if we have a lead, it's game over. And whether you're emotional about it or not, like we just had guys that felt that exact way. And so we just, I think that's what helped is that was like, we have got four, five, six guys that have sub threes that are just dominating. And it's, you're just going at like, we can throw anybody today and the game's over. Hey, well, I'll, I'll, here's a question for both of you guys. Okay, then, Paul. So that, that's when things are going your way and you feel amazing. Hey, baseball's easy. But all of a sudden, you have that stretch. You have that, that game where you give it up. And you, you, there was a couple of games where you gave it up, right? A home run here or there, whatever. Like, you know, early in September, right? Um, you, you had a rough one against the Astros and then came back, had, had a rough one. So when that happens, you've got that, that rough game, right? All of a sudden, and there's, that, that doubt rolls in. You're human. Right, uh, maybe maybe the league's catching up to me, or they figured something out, or maybe I'm tipping my pitches, or whatever it may be. And then you all of a sudden you have a day off, and then you go back out and you're feeling great. Bang, you give it up again, and then you're like, okay, uh oh, is this is this it for me? Yeah. How do you get through that, man? How do you get past that stage of doubt or whatever it is? Yeah, so we had a really good one, like you said. So we went to Houston, and I blew that game, and then we had a big lead, and I got to pitch the next day, and Bregman took me deep again. And I was like, all right, like we still won and that, you know, we're in the playoff run. So that's really all that matters. So I can shake that one off. And then, you know, three days later, we faced the, the Red Sox and I gave it back to back homers again. It was like, all right, that's four homers in a week. Like, let's go back to the drawing board. This is, right. this is not the guy. We have two weeks, three, I think it was like three weeks left, two weeks left, maybe. And I was like, all right, like I cannot. And for the first, for the first time all season, it was like, I'm finally going to get to arbitration. I don't want to blow this like, right. season that I've had. And it's like, I'm just being honest. Like it obviously yeah. crept into my mind that it was like, this is the first time I'm going to get paid. Like I cannot blow this yeah. in the last two weeks. hundred percent. Yeah. Like anyone's been there that kind of, it's the first time, like I can't do this. And you know, it was good. It was good. Woody and I had a really good conversation. I was like, he's like, okay, you're not going to blow the season you've had in the last two weeks. Let's yeah. just focus again. And it's like, He's like, first of all, the only way to do that is to consistently think about if I blow the if I blow the next exactly. two weeks, you, you, you gotta be thinking that way. You got you gotta be thinking positive, positive, positive all the time, pitching. Exactly. And you know, we ended up winning, we ended up winning that game against Boston, which was the most important thing with you know two weeks left. It's like, hey, we're two games out. We need to win every game that we possibly can. And I just went home and I was like, all right, fine. And I talked to him and I was like, screw it. Like, I will give you the best. I think we had, I'm trying to think. I think we had like 17 games left and I was like, all right, Woody, I will, I will give you the best, most focused nine innings I've had all season. No matter what happens, I promise I will focus on pounding fastballs at the top of the zone and ripping sliders and anything else is out the window. I I'm giving you my word right now. And he's like, okay, that's all I need. That's all I need. And it was like, we just made an agreement with each other that, that the non important things were going to stay not important for two more weeks. Yeah, let's yeah. get to the, let's try and get to the playoffs, and we'll celebrate whatever whatever happens happens. And you know, I think I think those were probably some of the. I ended up throwing like twelve innings because I pitched in every game for the last two weeks. But that I think those are some of the twelve best innings I threw all season, regardless of you know the walk walk. Uh, home yeah. In my last appearance, it was like I just was out of gas, and there was nothing I could do about it. You know, I I told him I wanted to pitch, and I was just out of gas. But I think that was probably 10 or 12 in the like best innings I threw all season. Yeah. I was so I was unbelievably focused, literally only focusing on, you know, Mariners winning games and that's it. And, and 
yeah, it was it was important for me to turn the corner instead of letting it slide like it had in the in the previous years. It's easy to say, you know, yeah. hey, I'm not going to let things creep into my head and this and that, especially when this is like a, a magical year you're having. And, you know, obviously you'd been through some things in the past where, you know, you'd just been DFA'd. So now you come and have this great year. But I, just one thing that I would I would say is always be positive. Don't be talking negative. I play with so many guys that have negative talk when they were playing or sec, not so much negative, just second guessing themselves as pitchers. Yeah. And the stuff they had, they should have been, you know, they could have probably won a Cy Young, some of these guys, I, I, but they talked themselves out of it. I feel like. Right. And, um, and, and I get that, you know, and sometimes you got to allow yourself to, to, to have some failure too. It's not going to be every game. You're going to be lights out which right. you go out there with that mentality, but you got to allow yourself to give it. Honestly, I was telling Ryan, it, it, I like to do a, a thing where I broke it down into 10 innings. I would yeah. do 10 innings and, and I wouldn't want to go like eight or nine out of 10. I want to be throwing up zeros. I give myself that little leeway to give up one or two runs here and there. I figured at the end of the year, I'm going to put up a two something. I'm going to have good numbers. Everything else can take care of itself. I just played a little games with myself and try to reset the button after 10, do another 10 and try to break it down into small little sections instead of, you know, 70 games, 102, I got to do this, do that. Try to, yeah, make small little goals throughout the season. So I'm not yeah. sure if that's something you you were doing this year or you're just pretty much rolling with it or what? I was kind of, I was kind of just rolling because things were going so well, but you're exactly right. So I kind of just gave, I gave Woody like a, Hey, there's, I'll give you nine innings left. Like yeah. these are the best nine innings I'll give you all season. And it kind of was, close to my best nine innings, regardless of, you know, whether I gave up a run or not, it was like, I don't think I made a bad pitch the whole time other than the one to walk. It was like, literally I was focused. I was more focused than I had ever been. And I was the best. And it was like, okay, let's just, like you said, put it in a nine game or nine inning stretches and just nine inning, nine inning, nine inning. And then when I look and have 70 at the end of the year, they're probably going to be pretty good 70. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah, that that was a good stretch. I, I remember that because there was a couple games mm. consistently, and you mentioned it was the Red Sox. I remember after the the Astros, I was like, "Oh man, what's what's happening here?" And because of that too, and Paul, you kind of mentioned it, and I get it. Uh, you know, it's not really the good, the best time to be talking about. It. You mentioned being arbitration eligible, right? You went, you started the year where okay, I'm trying to get back to the big leagues. Now I get to the back. Now I'm trying to stick around. And all of a sudden, the expectations expectations change because now you're the dude. You, 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 with your with your strikeout rate, your, your, your K percentage, and all this, all these numbers that really go hard into into um in arbitration. Now you're like, shit, I've got, I've got a chance to actually friggin' make some money here, right? Diapers are expensive too, man. They are. <laughs> I never believe it. Uh, eight a day, eight a day, oh, you run through them pretty quick. That that yeah, stroller exactly. too. Hey, hey, we're at Nordstrom's last night actually, and I'm looking at, I'm like, oh, I remember those friggin' strollers, man. And we had like, we had like the really good one. I'm like, shit's expensive. Anyway. With the Bentley of strollers, yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, but anyway, so it, it's it's amazing because 2010 I was arbitration eligible, and I was, I was that's all I had in my head. I'm like, oh man, I got a chance here to 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 really, you know, because there was even extension talks. Oh hey, let's let's go for. You know, my agent was like, "Oh, let's let's push through a you know good first couple of months, and let's see if we can push out the next couple of years." Because I was talking about that, and I shit myself, man. Yeah. It was brutal. Had a six seven suck. You know, it, it is something that plays in your mind. But the fact that you got a chance, Pete Woodworth, oh, he must. I mean, is he someone that? Uh, yeah, I, I, I love the dude, man. I talk to him all the time. He's he's great. 
was he a big part of this year for you, like a sounding board and everything else? Yeah, I know I just, we've talked about it a bunch, but just just from you and him having that relationship. You know, as a reliever, I actually spend more time with Trent than I do with Woody. But they, you know, they kind of have one voice for the two of them, which is yeah. really, which is really good. And it just was like it was just so much confidence from both of them in my stuff from the get go. It just felt like they were overwhelming me with confidence in how good they thought me and my stuff were from the get go. And I was like, That's all right, awesome. like, it feels good to be like, hey, every coach thinks that I'm the real deal. Like I need, I'm going to show them that they're right. Like I have this stuff, especially when I have my command, like this is it. So, and it just felt really good that it's like, they saw this out of me maybe before even I saw this out of me. And it just felt good that it was like, they, they were ecstatic the whole time. Like they were almost just as proud of it as I was. And, you know, Woody really had a really good thing that I, you know, we talked about it halfway through the year when we did a little, little double check just to make sure we were going over everything. He's like, like I said, in spring training, it did not go very well. And he's like, so I give you more credit for staying with our process, even though it wasn't going well, than maybe anybody I've ever coached, because it's easy. It's easy. If you make an adjustment and it clicks right away, you're like, all right, perfect. Like, yeah, I got it. I got, I got picked. I got pitching figured out. It's it's a lot harder when it's like, Hey, we really think this is going to work. And you go out there and have a, you know, 15 ERA in spring training. It's like, all right. I could have, I could have said, these guys don't know what they're talking about. Like, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. But I, I did trust them. And, you know, frankly, I was at a point where I was like, well, I might as well trust him because who knows what happens. And, you know, he was really, he was really good. And, it, you know, yeah, I have nothing but great things to say about Trent, Woody, the whole game. Like they just throw confidence at you until, uh, until you feel it yourself. Hey, yeah. I, think when you have, oh, I was going to say, I think when you have those coaches too, mate, that um, put that confidence in you, they, um, you know, that, that builds confidence in you, in yourself. When they throw you in a high leverage situation, you're like, you know, all of a sudden, hey, I'm in a high leverage situation. I'm not pitching with five, you know, five runs down or seven runs up. I'm in a one run game here. We're up by one. Like they obviously trust me. They believe in me. And, you know, I've come across different uh, managers that, you know, I think they build that confidence in you and they put you in good situations to pitch, situations that you're going to do well in. So, Grant, you didn't get to watch every single Mariners game like Ryan did, obviously, but we had, yeah. we had a little process that was way different other maybe other than your Rays are the only other team that I've seen do this where we did not have a closer we pitched yep. by matchups and yep. so I faced I faced the one through five every time we had a lead in the eighth or the ninth inning for the whole season or it was the seventh early and then once we got rid of Graveman I pitched the eighth or the ninth depending on when the top of the lineup would come up yeah and then Steck would do the other one pretty much and it was like okay so you know, I kind of, I had a little scuffle as soon as we got done with the second half, I gave up a couple homers and back-to-back outings at one to show, Hey, so it's like, I'm one of 50 people. So it's really not that big of a deal. And I kind of talked to Woody and he's like, well, you know, you only face these guys. Right. And I was like, no, I know. I know. I would love to have six, seven, eight, nine once in a while. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. You face the big guns. You're our best pitcher. And we want you to pitch against these guys because that gives us the best chance to win every time we have a lead. And it, um, and it was like, well, yeah, well, that feels really good. And you're right. Like, look at our bullpen. Everyone had success because we pitched around our matchups to make sure that our best pitchers pitch against their best pitcher and, and so far and so far. And it's like, we got the 90 wins with a bunch of misfits, I guess. So yeah. like it kind of worked, it kind of worked. Yeah. I, Ryan, I don't, I don't know if you even got to notice that, but that was, it was every time this lineup came up, that's who faced, who faced who. And it was, you know, it worked pretty well. We got to 90 wins and, you know, 
it was uh it worked out really well for us i, I totally know it was by committee where you know you highest leverage you know, and you always noticed with you being the hot but I, I never really noticed one through five like i didn't know is that's not that black and white obviously but i right. i didn't quite i mean i should have picked up on that the fact that it was one yeah. through five I, I just thought and i thought there could have been some other you know variables in there where you come in and say oh hey look i've only got two hitters tonight or whatever but uh but no, I, I never actually, yeah, well, that, well, that's, that's actually good to know. Hey, speaking of Woody and, and, and with Trent, um, your dad played college baseball, minor league baseball, right? Do you have a good relationship with him in regards with baseball and, and everything else? So, I mean, all the respect to Trent, Woody, any coach I've ever had, nobody knows me better than my dad. Right. He's seen me pitch more than any coach has seen any player ever of all time. You know, so it, we do have that. We have a really good relationship with it. And, and, you know, he was the one who was watching baseball games with me when we were kids and, and turning on Sunday night baseball and we'd watch and we kind of just talk about it. And I think that's where, that's obviously where my passion came from. And that's where I think just getting a little bit smarter rather than just, you know, being a guy who just goes out there and throws pitches for no reason came from. Um, but it's funny, you know, we got done with the season and he's just like, I can't believe I told you to throw the ball down at the knees for 20 years and the first time you start throwing the ball up in the zone you're the best pitcher on the planet he's like i i'm never gonna be able to live with myself and i you know i just kind of laugh with him and and um so you know he obviously he knew what he's talking about i'm not saying he knows everything but he knows me better than anybody knows me um so we still go back and forth with with stuff and you know it's funny it's funny this year he was like well this is the first year that I feel like I was wrong every time I called the pitch you were going to throw you threw the other one and punched the guy out he's like Maybe I've been telling you the wrong stuff this whole time. Once you just once you got away from me, things started to go better. But it's it's uh I, I give every all the credit to to everything I've done with my dad for my whole career and and my whole baseball baseball playing life. He's getting beat beat out by the iPad apparently. So were you we could ask you this, man? I asked Marco a similar question because Marco's dad, Marco Gonzalez, right? He's you know his dad was a baseball player as well, right? Um, right. You know Grant's Grant's parents were. You know, your dad wasn't involved in baseball. Mine definitely wasn't, right? Um, on a playing level. Was there still this thing though? Your dad plays college baseball, plays minor league baseball. Is this that that feeling? And this is what I'll worry about. I've got a two-year-old son, I've got a six-year-old daughter, but with a son, you know, and, and I see a lot of these high school kids with their parents, and you know, it's a weird relationship. Sometimes the parents are super pushy or or you know, they just they're clueless or they're trying to figure out. Was there ever that feeling, and you can't speak for your dad here, but where he was like a little bit gun shy or hesitant when, when you started playing baseball, where he was like, I don't want him to have to go through the same stuff I went through or baseball's freaking hard. It's hard to get to the big leagues, go get a real job. He is an accountant, right? Was there ever that or? or it, no, you've he, obviously never met my father. It's baseball all the time. Okay. okay. Both my brother and I both, and it, you know, really it was like, they pushed, both my parents pushed us to do whatever we wanted to do. And, but the first time I picked up a ball, that's all I've ever wanted to do. And, and I'm lucky enough to still be doing it at at 31. And so, you know, there was all the encouragement in the world for both my parents to do whatever it is that my brother and I wanted to do. We just both wanted to be major league baseball players. So that obviously worked out really well for my dad because he wanted us to both be major league baseball players. So, you know, there was all the encouragement in the world. We had a batting cage in my backyard in the house that I grew up in. Um, that obviously I didn't get enough batting work in. I got too much pitching work in. So, but my brother worked out really well for my brother. And so it was kind of uh it was all baseball all the time for as long as I can remember. Is your brother still playing? 
No, so he got released in 2017 by the okay. Astros. But, uh, you know, to have a big leaguer and a guy who got to high A is a pretty decent family, uh, oh, family baseball God. history. One hundred percent. That's why. That's why I had to ask, man, because you brought you and your brother both. Is, you know, were so successful. Is he also uh, an accountant or what, mate? What's what's his what's his background there? So he works. Uh, he works for Prudential Insurance now. Once he got oh, done, okay. he, he was like, "All right, I got to get a real job." And um, yeah. he was down in Phoenix. He went to ASU and and stayed down there because he loved it down there. And yeah. Um, yeah, so everyone has to get a real job at some point. We just. Oh, yeah. uh, some of us get to prolong that a little bit longer. Well, you're arbitration eligible, dude. I mean, and I, I, I was thinking about this earlier when we were talking about you, you, you got your degree in accounting or CPA, whatever you call it. So you're not going to go out and buy a Lambo or anything with this, with this new money you got. No, we, uh, we just joked. So every time it was a save or a hold, my wife and I would joke that it was towards our baby fund. So now even the arbitration fund is just the Chloe fund at this point. Yeah, but, gotcha. We'll get we'll get a little bit of food here and there, but it's mostly going to be diapers and and kids' toys and all that stuff. Dude, college, is, college is expensive, so we got to start saving up now. Oh, uh, there's, yeah. there's plenty of money in the game, mate. So uh, you keep putting up those numbers, and oh uh, you won't have to worry about counting your pennies. But um, obviously, yeah, you, you seem like you're you're smart enough to know uh, what you got to do with your money, put it away because it doesn't last forever. But uh, enjoy it while you're doing it. For sure, we're, and we're keep putting up those numbers. We're enjoying it for sure, dude. I mean, uh, and I'll finish on this note, man. Christmas is coming up in a couple of days. When this comes out, by the way, Paul, Christmas is coming up in a couple of days. You've just had an amazing breakout year. You, you have a newborn right now. Everything is just, dude. You must. I'm so happy for you, man. I mean, you must be just on freaking cloud nine right now, dude. Yeah, 20, <laughs> 2020 was tough on everybody, but 2021 was pretty good for the Seawall family. Oh, yeah. we're, uh, we're very grateful. For sure. Yeah. And I do know I am awesome, confident. Man. I've seen dudes just blow through cash. I, I'm confident that's not going to happen. You're going to be set up for the rest of your life, man. I'm, I'm stoked for you, mate. It's, it's awesome. Stay away from the man bags, mate. Stay away from those Gucci man yes. bags. Yes. Oh, the worst. Oh, I don't have God. nearly enough style for that stuff. I, dude, I'm still, we're, we're, I'm still the guy. I'm still the minor leaguer that's like battling from paycheck to paycheck. And like, I'll just take yeah. I'll take the food at the field and and we just live humbly and it's totally fine with no us. No problem whatsoever. We we had a man bag uh, section on a couple episodes back. You've listened to this show front and start to finish, so you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, we had we did have a nice little man bag section. It's something that just runs, you know, runs rabbit through friggin' the, the, the big leagues. It's it's yes, it straight to the man bag. It's like come on, no, I I, I could never pull it off either. I think I may have tr- like even gone out and looked for one on the road. I'm like, what am I doing? Get out of here! What am I? Yeah. They, uh, the Toomey bag with everybody's initials is like the, the official <laughs> I'm a major leaguer backpack. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I just I don't want to spend a thousand dollars on a backpack. Nah. It's no, just not it's just not me anyways. So uh, it's uh no so you'll be, be, be getting your Nike backpacks, you get a you get a nice little deal with whoever you you're uh you're using up there. Exactly. The, yeah, yeah. the free bag is totally good with me. Exactly. Paul, this has been great, man. I, I can't thank you enough. And I'm looking forward to, to spring training 2022. Thanks guys for having me. I really appreciate it. And Ryan, it's uh, it can't be here quick enough. I know, uh, I know all of Seattle is excited. And I, a bunch oh, yeah. of guys are excited and uh, you know, whenever we get through this, negotiating stuff oh, will be uh i'll be there in no time i promise we, we we didn't even get to that we had too much too much stuff we don't have nearly time. enough time for that no we don't we don't but uh hopefully you can come on again then we can, we can good. talk. sounds about good it. thanks for having me guys awesome. thanks paul, paul. appreciate it man and good luck for 2022 and merry christmas to you and the family and the first one with with the newborn baby man that's all awesome. i appreciate Congrats. it i appreciate it you guys right, too. oh yeah that was a chat mate 
Yeah, mate. No, he's a top bloke. Like you say, you know, he's a real humble guy, but uh, believes in himself, confident, stuck to it. Uh, he really stuck it out and really uh, gave it a chance to work. Uh, everything that Seattle had sort of mentioned to him, you know, there was still some tough times there, but it's a process, but he, he stuck with it and uh, good, good on him, mate. He, uh, he came up with the results at the end of the year and he, he put it all together. He talked about that alt site too. And uh, not that we had time to dive into it, maybe it was with you know future guests or something like that, but that could be like something that major league baseball brings in because if you get a chance to have a high level like that, in season yeah. or you have those at bats that like right after spring. I don't know. Like, it, the fact that he had that, like I never had that and I'm not, not yeah. crying about it, but the fact that he had that, that yeah. basically be a blank canvas for these coaches to say, try this, try that in front of really good hitters. And that's just what propelled him into being really good. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be hard because th- those guys are typically playing, typically they're playing triple A or double A. I know, yeah. but if you said, like, if you had that little grace period from spring training before their season started or something, I don't know, as, as a prospect type deal where your young players yep. get in with this old site where you're facing each other, you know, in a pretty, in, in a closed environment. I don't know. It was interesting, but just shorten so much. The minor league, shorten the minor league season a little bit, maybe yeah. two weeks and have that. Maybe just at the double A AA and triple A level. Exactly. Yeah. The other guys could, yeah. I just get so I just get so happy for dudes like that, man. There's something he mentioned yeah. a few times. Something clicks, and you just feel absolutely unstoppable, bulletproof. Like I can throw this pitch, make a mistake, and you're not going to do anything with it. That's the best feeling on the planet, especially yeah. when you're pitching. And and you've you've had that you had that plenty in your career, obviously with some of the numbers. I had it. There's parts of my career where I felt like that. I could just hang this breaking ball. You're not going to do jack shit with it. And yeah. just to to see where he's at now, he's arbitration eligible. He's going to get paid this offseason, make some good money. He's an accountant, not going to go blow it. He's going to have a great Christmas, right? Yeah. Maybe maybe go on a trip. So, oh, he went to Hawaii. But I, yeah. want to, I want to transition into our Aussie segment, That's Grouse. Now, we're breaking down so, some Australian music, okay? Yeah. I get uh, This drives me nuts sometimes, Grant. At the top of the list is... You probably know who's at the top of this list. I'm, uh, it's not like I'm keeping anything secret here. ACDC. Yeah. i got to say, mate, it <laughs> ruffles my feathers and people are like, oh, they're not Australian. And yeah. I'm just like, are you kidding me? Yeah, it's amazing. Akadaka, mate. Akadaka. They're, they're, they're Australian. They're the, the, the most iconic band to come out of Australia. But there is this list of 20 we've got in yeah. front of us. Now, I do want to go through and, 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 and see where you're at with some of these. I am glad, though, that my hometown buddies were in number eight, but let's go through it. Number 20, the living end. I'm glad they snuck on the list. I was a big fan of them back in the nineties. Number yeah. 19, the Skyhooks, a little bit older. Number 18, dragons. <laughs> my dad's probably nodding his head right now. Yeah. Number 17. I, I don't know about this one, mate. Savage garden. I get it. They blew up here, but yeah. Yeah. Talking, I do remember them. Yeah. Are, are they a band or I guess they are. I mean, they're super talented, whatever. They snuck on the list. Number 16, the presets. Number 15, the church. Uh, don't get upset with me. I've never heard of them. Yeah. Number 14, Paul Kelly. Number number 13, Powderfinger. All right. <laughs> that rings a bell. <laughs> number 12, Nick Cave. Number 11, Little River Band. Yeah, I get it. Number River 10, Band. UMI. Number nine, The Easy Beats. Number eight, Silver Chair. Straight out of Newey. Love it. Number seven, The Divinals. You remember? Yeah. I thought it was just a, I thought it was, oh, I guess it is a band, but the lead singer was a, uh, was a chick. Um, number six, the BGs back in the disco days. Number five, yeah. Crowded House. I thought they were Kiwis. Number yeah, four, Midnight. They're, they're big. What's that? Yeah, number four, go on, Midnight Oil and Peter Garrett. 
Yeah, dude, mate. Midnight. Oil. I love me some midnight oil. That's actually oh, that, on the, shit, uh, that bald head, mate. That shaved head. You can still see him cranking just, it out. I just got off a road trip uh, with the family heading into Christmas in Arizona, and uh, mate, midnight oil. I was pumping that. Kennedy didn't know yeah. it either. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, the beds are burning, mate. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's the best. Anyway, number three, cold chisel. Number two, in excess. I get it. And number one, Akadaka. So let's go yeah. through this list, man. The, the, the 20, you've got the list in front of you. Who stands yeah. out to you? Who are some of your favorites on this list? Uh, mate, obviously, for sure, ACDC, they rock. For you sure. know? Yeah, in for excess sure. were great. Cold chisel. I enjoyed that. Back in Australia, I remember growing up, listening to Midnight Oil around the house. A lot of this stuff, crowded house, listening to it, you know, parents hey now, listening to hey it. Hey now, Jeez, mate, you're doing all right. You're still banging, mate. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, just, yeah, listening to it on, on a Saturday morning yeah, around the house or whatever on the Saturday afternoon. VG's obviously huge. The vinyls, silver chair when they came out in the 90s, I would say. Um, you know, more of a teenage years. Um, cranking that, you know, the little six by nines in the in the Holden Astra. <laughs> <laughs> did you have a did you have a cassette player? Or you're on the CDs, mate. No, nah, no, nah, I had the uh, had the cassette, had the cassette but, player, and then you had the the, the cassette with the, the the cord out, the the auxiliary yeah. cord into the. Oh, that was the best, mate. Cranking yeah, into the C- CD player, but then the CD <laughs> player would skip if you had it on the passenger seat. It would bounce. <laughs> I remember, I remember cutting out the back of the old Nastra. I cut it out, put some six by nines in it, and then put a little put a little subwoofer in the back. Oh, so you see, so you were that yeah. guy. You, you put in yeah. the aftermarket stereo and everything. Uh, yeah, the stereo was more than the car. Yeah, mate. it was. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it was bumping. I yeah, loved doof, it. Doof, mate. Into the windows, put some put some uh, rims Doing on. Laps. It the way I went. Yeah. No, nah, mate. I mean, the, the list goes down. Some big names there, obviously. Ice House just missed the t- top twenty. Yeah, remember Ice House, Empire of the Sun, another one I remember. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah mate, we we we're going all right, you know. Yeah. Obviously, uh, not typically known probably for for music in, out of Australia, I suppose, as much as you know maybe the US here. But um, a lot of it goes uh, a pretty great, good. Mate. A lot of great set. Not a bad, not a bad list. Yeah, for a small population, I mean, there's there's some some absolute you know iconic bands yeah. coming out now a couple solo uh, uh this natalie imbruglia from the central coast yeah she gets oh, on there kylie minogue. kylie minogue mate how hot was she oh she still is i guess she's ageless yeah. mate she's just, she's like a vampire yeah yeah, yeah, yeah top sort she doesn't age mate doesn't age doesn't. a bit yeah and remember her sister do you remember her sister danny minogue she was on like home and away oh, yeah and yeah that's right and she tried to come out with some solo career it wasn't bad i think she had a couple hits yeah. in there you know, that's may right. have got, may have gotten into the uh, Mitsubishi Magna in the station wagon, <laughs> but uh, but um, and then what about Johnny Farnham, like, mate? Dude, mate, I know Johnny Farnham. I get it, man, because we, we were talking about that big name um, a while back. Talking about uh, was he part of a group? No, I guess he wasn't. He was just a solo. No, he, he was a solo, I think. Yeah, he's a solo, mate. We've got two strong hearts. <laughs> we stick together like there you a go. and a bee. <laughs> You and me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, man. but the that ones now. I'm not ripping. I'm not ripping on Savage Garden whatsoever. I get it, man. Yeah. No massive here. I didn't realize. I didn't honestly. I, I forgot they were huge. Not your cup of tea, mate. No. Well, I, yeah. Look, I didn't mind it. You know, when I was pulling yeah. on the heartstrings a little bit. When uh, remember last week, I told you the story about my my girlfriend when my dad told me to give her the flick in the no, world of the day. Right. But yeah. um, 
I remember the Savage Garden when I was a teenager. There was, um, yeah, yeah maybe uh, a couple of hits. I get it. I, I guess if you make it here big in the States, mate, you're golden, right? That's what you have to oh, do. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. Most, most of those guys, um, they'd come over here. Like, here's one that missed out on, on here. And, and this is getting to my point. The Angels, right? Love the yeah. Angels. Good yeah, stuff. Right. Now, they, they must have just never hit it big over here in the States. I remember I read ACDC's book. Matter of fact, I was talking about the Angels, and they kind of went the UK route, which it's it's a big deal to make in the UK too, but they yeah, didn't yeah. go the US route like ACDC did, and ACDC just blew up. And the yeah. Angels, mate, uh, what's the song? Um, uh, am I ever going to see your, your face, face again? again? No way, Jose. <laughs> Yeah, no. I, I gotta stop there. <laughs> yeah, you gotta stop there. Get, yeah, remember everyone at the concert? Yeah, singing oh, yeah. yeah. They'd, they'd be all singing that. Going yeah, nuts. you'd have a you'd have a gut full in you. Maybe you're yeah. getting stuck into it. <laughs> but I am glad. I, I look. I, I, I'm. I'm. You know, I'm, I'm upset that the uh, the Angels missed out. This must be an, a, an American side, actually. But I do like the fact yeah. the Living End snuck on there. I love the Living End, yeah. mate. The Warp Tour back in yeah. 1999 when I had my hair dyed blue. <laughs> <laughs> Just. Smoking the hoochie gooch? No, I wasn't. I swear to God, I wasn't. But I yeah. go to those warp tours, mate. And the living in were there, and the dude with the big double bass just cranking. I was loving it. It was good. Yeah. So I'm glad they snuck on there. And then you got Powderfinger. You know, fair enough. And the lead singer, well, I can't remember his name. He went solo for a little bit. Then Cold Chisel. What's his name? Ian? Is it Ian Moss? He went solo. Couple hits. I think they all. I think a lot of them do, mate. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, I still can't believe Johnny Farnham's not on here with a mention. Well, this is only the band. We're only looking at the I band. Mean, I mean, I guess he does here. John Farnham and many, many more all agreed upon one thing, that ACDC are the best band in Australia. Yeah. Oh, even, for sure. even he said. It, most of them all agreed, you know? I mean, you can't. Uh, there's no denying that whatsoever. Olivia Newton-John. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> well, yeah, again, man. And, Got to and- give her it. Got to give her a shout out. You do, yeah. And she was an actress too. I mean, she smashed it in uh, Greece. <laughs> And uh, you're living in, yeah. Chris Cheney, you're living in, mate. That was, uh, and yeah. then of course, silver chair for those of you. I've, uh, by the way, a buddy of mine, Brad Garland, said, Oh, you must have, what do you say? I must have shares in Newcastle or like tourism or something because I'm always pumping Newcastle. But yeah. silver chair went to my high school. I think everyone in Seattle who I know here, they all know that because I tell them a thousand times, but um, went to Newcastle High, but they made it big when they were teenagers, smashed it. And then, yeah. Uh, yeah. What are they doing these days, mate? Hanging out Mary with the beach, mate. That, what, what else is there what to do? You, what do you think they're doing for Chrissy? Ah, oh, smashing some prawns, a bacon <laughs> egg roll in the morning. Like I said, that surprised you. They're still Last rocking week. it out. You think they're still rocking it out? Oh, yeah, they'd have a smash of the drums, I reckon. The, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wondered if they were still together. I don't know, to be honest. I know um, some yeah. of those, most of those bands break up, you know. Yeah, but, uh, it's gonna be hard, mate. A- you think about you think about that touring around, like you know, in, in small spaces. You got the yeah. big egos, everyone telling you you're awesome. Now you're awesome. You're yeah. the, you know, it, it, it would be it would be full on, man. It'd be tough to keep together. That's why you see some of these bands, you know, just yeah. go absolutely berserk and just lose it. But I do know Daniel Johns was living in the U.S. when Ben Gillies and I can't remember the I can't remember the bass player. I'm gonna, someone's gonna. Have to pull me up on this one. They are in Australia, so there was kind of like a little bit of that separation. I don't know. Maybe they, yeah. they need to get back together and yeah, mate. Uh, you never know. There used to be um, there used to be a, a concert. It was only Australian music in Australia. I never went. the The big one was uh, the Big Day Out. We went. We went to the Big Day Out that That's one right, time to see to see Rage Against the Machine. That's right. We yeah, you came Rage. with us. Yeah. That's right. Oh, that was but wild. That was insane. 
But then you also had Home Bake. It was all Aussie artists. You know, like yeah. Spider Bait, Powderfinger, yeah. Regurgitator. Regurgitator. <laughs> Spider Bait, that's right. All the Aussie bands. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe there's maybe Silverchair on there. I, I can't remember. But anyway, yeah. enough of that. Grant, I've got to let you go, mate. You've got plenty of Chrissy shopping to get done still. You've got to go pick up your lay-bys. Yeah, yeah mate. Yeah, I've got a couple of things on lay by. So awesome. we're going to pick those up and, um, you know, pay down, me down, down a big W. Yeah. Down a big W. <laughs> yeah, big W, mate. Go get your slip and slide. Yeah, nothing better than big W, mate. They've got everything. <laughs> just, <laughs> just compare it to Walmart here, you know? No, big I just w, get in a big W. Out. Get get the kids a slip and slide. Nah, they'll be sold out, mate. W. <laughs> Either that or just duck up the Bunnings. Yeah. You know, and get some tools, grab a tool belt and yeah, whatnot. That's a shot. You know? Everyone needs a new set of tools oh, every yeah. once in a while around the house, mate. Absolutely. Merry right, Christmas, buddy. mate. Have a good one. Have an amazing, amazing time. By the way, thanks for the invite to that that 40 plus people. I didn't even get a freaking invite. Thanks. Uh, mate, I did. I told you if you were down here, come bring the been doing, well. doing bombs, doing horses. In the you, court, well, you, you're supposed to be down here for the uh, winter, meetings, for the winter meetings, but that got cancelled. So then that kind of put that out of perspective. But uh, yeah, you too, mate. Have a good Christmas. Family, the kids, going to be a good time for you. A couple sure. of young ones, so you'll, uh, you'll enjoy for, that. For everyone listening, have a great Christmas. Thanks for tuning in. We're going to be continuing on weekly here. We might have a week break here or something. I don't know, Grant. I've got to have a look at the schedule. But we do have some exciting stuff happening in 2022. We're going to keep my mouth shut, but uh, it's going to be exciting. We're on a nice little roll here, so that's going to be good. But thank you, everyone. Have a great Christmas, and we'll see you next week. Hey, what's going on, guys? I hope you enjoyed that episode with Paul Seaworld. So much fun. I want you to have a great Christmas. Stay safe out there. Enjoy the family. Get the nose out of the phone for five minutes. Enjoy that time with the loved ones and your friends, family, whoever it may be this Christmas and this New Year's. We will see you very soon right here on the top step. Make sure you've subscribed. We've got so much good stuff coming in 2022. I can't wait. All right, we'll catch you next week right here on The Top Step.